God, we're so thankful for all of your blessings. Uh, we thank you for the forgiveness of sin and um, the blessedness of being able to be unified with Christ and um, the things that we're going to learn about tonight and just uh, talk through uh, what blessings these are. Uh, again, the idea of justification, that we can stand before you. Um, though we have no merit of our own, no reason for you to save us, no reason for you to love us, Yet through your son, Jesus, and all of his merit and all of his perfect righteousness, you do love us. And um, not only do you accept us because of him, but um, you also bring us into your family because of him. And then give us all that is his and um, an inheritance that um, was not ours. And again, that we didn't purchase or earn in any way, but we thank you for it. And uh, we just want to learn to rest in that and to rejoice in it and um, just teach us tonight, we pray, by your spirit. And um, we do lift up to you all the people that are close to us, that we know especially, uh, that just need your blessing uh, physically. Uh, we pray for uh, both of Megan's grandmas and um, her Uncle Randy and that you would just um, take care of them. Uh, we continue to pray for my dad that you just uh, continue to bring him back uh, the way you have been to his health, and uh, we thank you for that. And I'm sure there are many other things and people that we know about that um, we'd love to see you change. And um, so we just pray for all those, uh, all the people here that you've put together in this fellowship, our families, our children, uh, all the children that are next door um, learning. We pray for them and for you to enlighten them according to your word. And... Uh, just uh, bless our fellowship as well. You already have done that. We thank you for it. And uh, we just love you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. <clears throat> so, we did talk somewhat extensively last week about justification and what it means to be justified uh, as the Bible, uh, in Bible terms, and especially because we don't really have a we, we don't really get a true picture of just justice in this world, so we have a hard time sometimes grasping this because um, God is just, and he does what's right and good. And somehow a perfect, righteous, holy God has made a way for imperfect, imperfect is the correct way to say it, um, unjust, unrighteous, sinful people to be brought into his presence, into his kingdom and the way he's done that, of course, is through Jesus Christ, the righteous one. And because of his perfect obedience, we call it his active obedience because he fulfilled the law. He never broke it. He never sinned. Perfectly did according to all the law of the Father. And then what we call his passive obedience, not because he was a passive person, but from a word that means passion in the, the, the way that he offered his, his, himself um, the punishment that he endured, the wrath that he endured, and the cross, of course. All that we refer to as his passive obedience. He willingly went to the cross and obeyed. And because of all that, and God the Father is honored through that, then he is pleased to look, um, punish his son, but look on us as though um, we are his. And so because of that, the Bible says we are justified from our sin. So even though we have sinned, um, God doesn't give us 
righteousness, but he counts us um, righteous in Christ. He counts Christ's righteousness toward us. And that's what it means to be saved. That's what it means to be a Christian. So nobody comes to God without this happening. God does this. Now, you, we talked about this a lot. You can't necessarily see all these things happening, but in time you understand that these did happen. Now, you might know something's different. You feel something. You understand something. But um, it's kind of like the uh, eunuch said to Philip, how can I know these things unless someone teach them to me? And so God has given us uh, teachers to teach these things and his word that we can look and see. Um, and now we have several thousand years of church history to learn from and glean from and see that these are the things that God has been teaching us, these wonderful things like justification, that even though I've sinned, yet I am counted um, forgiven, and I am forgiven. And so um, somebody said, and probably mostly right, correctly, just to, to be justified, you can think of it meaning justified never sinned. That's what it means to be justified. God brings me into his presence and into his kingdom, into his family, just as if I hadn't sinned, even though I have. Because Christ. And it's always because of Christ. And we, we pointed this out, and I think this is such a good thing to remember. Everything we have in Christ is always because of uh, and not in order that. In other words, whatever we've received has been because of Christ. And we hadn't received any. We, we don't do things so that we receive. We receive freely because of Christ. That's what's great. That's why it's called grace. And so... That's the best summation I can do in, in a short amount of time for what it means to be justified. Um, but that's where we pick up here in four. That was kind of one through three. Number four says, From all eternity God decreed to justify all the elect. So again, that idea that we believe there was a covenant of redemption made before the world began. That God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit made this covenant that they would um, create a people and choose a people to save, and he refers to them as the elect. And he, he, from all eternity, decreed that he would do that by justifying them, okay? So that's what this means. From all eternity, God decreed to justify all the elect. And we know that if God decrees something, it happens, okay? It comes to pass. And in the fullness of time, so through all that history, um, finally, the Bible says at the right time, in just time, in the fullness of time, Christ did come and he did die for their sins and rose again for their justification. So all that Christ has done, all that he is, um, that figures into our justification. Nevertheless, they are not justified personally until the Holy Spirit actually applies Christ to them at a proper time. Now, I don't know if we talked about this much last week, but I know in a time past we kind of ran through that um, because uh, sometimes you can you can look at things like election and predestination and these things, and they, they, they get your mind sort of confuzzled, and you're like, ah, well, that means I never was, I mean, it, I never was not saved. But the Bible doesn't allow us to speak in those terms. The Bible says there is a time you were an enemy of God, but now you've been reconciled. So at some point in uh, your life, God has done this very thing. He has justified you. And we've talked about that order of salvation where there's predestination, election, there's um, calling, and there's justification, and there's um, sanctification, and also something we're going to look at today, adoption, that um, all these things sort of happen 
uh, not necessarily linear, but God just does them. And all of a sudden you find out, I'm all these things. Man, I was elected. I've been called by God. God has saved me. He justified me. And he is setting me apart. He has sanctified me. He's making me different. He's um, preparing me and readying me for his kingdom. But also he adopted me. And and we're going to look at that, which is a glorious thought. Um, Very closely tied with justification is adoption. That's the next chapter. Um, But there was a lot of uh, charges being laid against uh, our forefathers who wrote this um, confession. And so they put this in there. Hey, we recognize there is a, though we believe all these things, and, and yes, it was good as done, if God decreed it, there's no chance it won't happen. But there was a time in every individual person's life when the Holy Spirit applies Christ to them at a proper time. And so, um, you know, some, at some point along the way, you might hear that. Somebody might say something like, well, you ought to just take a case or attitude. I mean, who cares? It's all going to happen, so why bother? But we know that, no, uh, God, not only mu- God not only ordains the, uh, the means, but he also ordains the methods. There's got to be preaching. There's got to be calling. There's got to be hearing. And through that, God... Uh, applies this to his people okay so i don't think y'all are confused by that right it's pretty kind of cut and dry but i i I love that they put it in here so there's no confusion we're going to see a few other things like that in a minute so god continues number five to forgive the sins of those who are justified so this is the good news even greater the good news getting gooder god justifies us and forgives our sins and he continues to do that there's never a point from, from the time you're redeemed and justified, there's never a point from then on where your sins are not forgiven. Okay, so you don't have to live like so many do. Well, I hope I've got all my stuff prayed up and forgiven before I die. You know, I hope I don't get killed in a car wreck and I've got something I hadn't confessed. Well, you know what? Jesus died for that. Jesus died for your memory that's bad. Jesus died for your uh, inability to remember everything you need to confess. All those things are are covered okay and he continues to forgive your sins even though they can never fall from a state of justification though they may fall under god's fatherly displeasure because of their sins so see what they're doing they make this statement god continues to forgive sins of those who are justified so some people might would say oh well then if that's the case why why bother i don't have to worry about it i can live how i want to right if I'm saved and my sins are forgiven, all of my sins are forgiven, then why does it matter? And so now they bring this about. Okay, well, you can sin as a Christian. We all do. And we all sin a lot and we sin greatly. And thank the Lord that uh, Jesus is, is a great and awesome Savior from sin. But you never can fall from justification, okay? Again, they're battling this idea at the time. Remember, in the, in the 17th century, this idea that you could be saved and lost, saved and lost, and you got to, you know, and there's, this was the idea, especially in the Catholic Church at this time. Man, you better keep paying up because you never know. I mean, you be, you want to be sure, you better keep paying up, and you better keep coming to confession, and you better keep doing penance, and over and over and over, and just that's work, 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 and never any rest, never any trust in uh, who Christ is and what He's done. But the reformers didn't teach that 
um, the law doesn't matter. I mean, we've went over this over and over. Or that God doesn't care how you live. He does. I mean, Jesus died because he cares about how we live. And um, But you can never fall from a state of justification. God's never going to unsave you, right? Since this was decreed before the foundation of the world, and again, this is why it's so important to believe this, if this was God's plan from before the foundation of the world, how can you come in one little bitty, I mean, your life won't even measure, register on the scale of, of creation from the garden till whenever Jesus comes back. How can you and your little bitty self come in here and mess that up? You're not going to. This is eternal God doing eternal things, and you're a part of it. And so you can't be unjustified. And so they're, they're trying to make this, you know, again, one of the things that the Reformers fought over wasn't just justification, but it was because of justification. They also fought over this idea of um, the, um, the perseverance of the saints. The people of God will persevere. You, you know, our, there's another place in our confession that points this out. Your, your life may be wavy and rocky. You may be go so far that the light of Christ is barely seen. But he will never snuff it out, and he will never leave you alone. And so that's what they're pointing out here. You can never fall from the state of justification. But you may fall under God's fatherly displeasure because of your sin. Of course, I know they put it in third person. They may fall under God, God's fatherly displeasure because of their sins. Now, in that condition, they will not usually have the light of his face restored to them until they humble themselves, confess their sins, plead for pardon, and renew their faith and repentance. Now, I think it's very important to see that our Calvinistic Baptist forefathers taught this. You know, because, again, it's not that we don't believe humans don't... We, we do not believe there's no such thing as human will. We've tried to teach that when we taught the chapter on free will. Right? Some of you didn't come to. But uh, I don't know why I remember that. Sorry. <laughs> but I know, just calling you out. No, look, it, but um, we, we don't believe, we, we do believe that. We recognize it. And so what this is saying is like usually, now again, they're not, they're not putting God in this little corner saying this is the only way God ever does things. They say usually. That condition will remain this, this, underneath this fatherly displeasure where God is your father and he loves you. And we're going to learn he's adopted you into his family and he's displeased with our sin. But not, I mean, in the same way that I hope for the most part, maybe, maybe we won't use our parents as an example, but maybe we use us as parents as an example. Our kids can anger us and we can get upset and we have to punish them. And sometimes we even say, you know, go into the go to the next room. I don't need to look at you for a few minutes, you know. But there's never a time, there's never a point for us that we're saying, you know, I might just I might just take him to the orphanage. I'm, I might just be done. I'm, I'm done parenting that person. And so this is kind of the idea. Look, that God, because He is righteous and perfect and holy, and His Son has died for His people. It's not that it surprises him that we sin. But there is this fatherly displeasure, this conviction by the Holy Spirit that's within us that causes us not to be comfortable in it, right? So that we can never just be good with it. 
you know, because we recognize, okay, that's not what, that's not who I am in Christ. And so it, it teaches us here, so what do we need to do? Well, always the Bible is calling us to this, and, and we can't do this apart from God's help. But humble ourselves, confess our sins, plead for pardon, um, and renew our faith and repentance. Just these things that we've learned to do. Now, again, I don't think this is for us to walk around in guilt all the time. Because here's the thing. Uh, if you find yourself humble before the Lord and you recognize I've sinned against God, and, that's, and, and you, you announce that some way, whether it's silently or out loud to God, and you're asking for mercy and pardon, um, I believe absolutely he's going to renew your faith and he's going to renew repentance and give you uh, a sorrowful heart that really does lead to repentance. Um, because... Right after that comes restoration and peace and joy, right? Until you sin the next time. But uh, I like, you know, John was clear. I write to you that you sin not. But when you sin, we have an advocate with the Father. Jesus Christ, the righteous. And so, but you can't be unjustified. Because your justification is not about you. It's about Christ. And Christ did what he did and it was perfect and finished and complete that can't be undone but you you want to recognize that you sinned and, and that God is not pleased with our sin ever but we always have forgiveness in Christ and that should again that should spur us on to godly living we should we live godly because of Christ again not in order that we might get something from God again we're not we're not trying to build up rewards like, well, you know, I've confessed 25 sins this week, so that should add up to some, because that's what was going on at the time. It's like a point system. If you do so many things, so many things, then it's like you're building up this little bank of um, to get you out of purgatory or something like that. And that's not what this is. This is a, wow, because of who I am in Christ, um, I shouldn't live this. this. This shouldn't be a part of who I am. And, and we've all been there, we, right? We've all recognized that. I can't, do, I can't keep doing that. That's not, who, that's not who I am in Christ. That's not who Christ is, so that's not who I can be. So, anyways, I, I think that's where this is headed just to get us to the next chapter. Any questions about that or comments? It's really just kind of a review of justification. In that last session, we did read this last week, but in all these ways, justification of believers in the Old Testament was exactly the same as those in the New. So they're always, several times throughout our confession, they're making that statement, right, to try to point out that there's no, there's no way to Christ except one way. I mean, there's no way to God except one way that's through Christ. And the Old Testament believers came that way, and the New Testament believers come that way. So, and where we come that way, we live in the, under the new covenant. Nothing? All right. Well, we probably won't cover this whole next chapter, but let's let's start looking at it because it just mentioned, <clears throat> and I love the way usually these chapters do this. They build on each other, and there's kind of this foreshadowing to get us to the next thing. So this idea of fatherly displeasure um, you could be saying, "Well, what what is that?" And it's kind of going to get it to get us to it right here. 
Let's just read this whole thing and then we'll back up and look at some of it. So God has granted that all those who are justified would receive the grace of adoption in and for the sake of his only son, Jesus Christ. So here again, you see justification is by grace, but so too is adoption. And this is a beautiful thing that God has adopted us into his family. Because even though we were made in his image, you know, we went astray and we were sinful and um, we couldn't be in the presence of God and, and we, we, we had no chance of getting to him. So he made a way for us through Christ. And not only did he just, not only did he make justification possible, but because he loves us and because of the love that he, he uh, is, um, he also gives us the grace of adoption. So here again, because it's a grace, it's nothing we can earn. It's nothing that some people get and some people don't. If you're born again and you're justified, then you're adopted into God's family. All this for the sake of Jesus. By this, they are counted among the children of God and enjoy the freedom and privileges of that relationship. Now, see, this is one of the areas, too. Everybody's not a child of God. You know that, right? So when we, you know, we have to be careful. A lot of the world's mantra is, well, we're all God's children. No, not until you're adopted into the family and caught counted as sons and daughters of God right so and, and, and that happens through adoption so it's right to say well everybody I mean we can we could say if you want to be in God's family and God's counted as God's child then you can be adopted by justification but in, and then it gives you a great way to introduce the gospel but it's not correct to say we are all God's children because we're not until we're brought into his family Right? It doesn't make sense. How can be, we be God's children? Because God's children would have to, I mean, that necessitates being in God's family. We can't be in God's family until you're brought into the family, right? Does that make sense? We're all God's creation, and we're all made in his image. But being part of the family of God is something very special and unique, right? And it's a big deal. And look at, look at what it says. Uh, they enjoy the freedom and the privileges of that relationship. They inherit his name. They receive the spirit of adoption. They have access to the throne of grace with boldness. And then they are enabled to cry, Abba, Father. So see, now we understand. Oh, okay. So this fatherly displeasure comes because God has brought me into his family and adopted me. Now I'm his child. And he gives me all the privileges of the relationship of sonship and, and, and being a child in his family, even giving me access to the throne of grace with boldness. And I can call him Father, right? <clears throat> and also we're given compassion. We are protected. We are provided for. And chastened by him as a father. Now I'm sure that this passage is down here, or uh, should be, but, um, you know, that's, that's what a, half a chapter in Hebrews is about, being chastened by God the Father. Because if you were not his child, he would not chasten you. But because you are his child, he does love you, and he chastens you, and he cares for you. You know? And, and so it is with God. Yet they are never cast off. And there's the idea again. He may chasten us, and, and chastening may look like a lot of different things. Um, some of you could testify... 
now looking back, you could say, I, saw, I see the chastening hand of God in my life. And it looked like this. But it's not right to say, so you need to be looking for this because if this is the way he chastened me, he'll chasten you the same way. It, could, it probably must always is different. And sometimes you don't recognize it until you're out of it. Right? You look back, as I said, and you say, okay, I see that now. You know, it's a fatherly displeasure to bring me back uh, to where he wanted me to be. And, um, but there's never a danger of you being cast off again, unjustified, because you have been sealed for the day of redemption, right? Ephesians chapter 1. And you will inherit the promises as heirs of everlasting salvation. <clears throat> so that's some, uh, this thing is, this chapter is very deep, but, um, and just full of a lot of doctrinal truth. But everything that you enjoy for the sake of Christ um, comes to you because God brought you into his family. And now, and these kind of things would have meant a lot more to um, those in the first century, especially, and, and a little bit before understanding this idea of being an heir, what it means to get something that's your that's yours because of your father, right? You think about the prodigal son. They went to their father to get everything that was coming to them. Have they earned it? No. They were born into the family. It was given to them. This is yours. This is your, give me my inheritance, he said. And um, we are given an inheritance. All of the promises of everlasting salvation and made heirs. So God not only brought us into his family, just think about this, and adopted us, but he put us as heirs with Christ, which is huge. And I think it was some of the point of the prodigal son too, by the way, was to try to show the brothers that, you know, the truth is y'all have equal share in this. I mean, you have the inheritance of your father. And you're missing that. And you're taking it to be something else. All for yourself, not realizing exactly what you've been, what you've been born into. And so it is with us.